for July 14th, 2014. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 315. A car that's full of dreams and not actual car parts. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, the automobile capital of the world, I'm Matt Rather, here with the panel, uh, which includes Pete Fenzel and Mark Lee. Hi, guys. Hey. hey. I'm trying. I'm going to stick with this thing for a little while, of saying everybody's names at the top, so that, like, uh, it, you know, if your favorite podcaster is on, you can continue listening. And if not, you can just shut us off like uh, so many uh, piles of dirty laundry. I mixed my metaphors. Ah, oh, this podcast is ruined. Uh, you, can't, <laughs> you can't shut off piles of dirty laundry. Well, uh, congratulations to Germany for their victory in the World Cup. And congratulations to our, our German listeners. Uh, I hope you are celebrating your victory. You are the uh, Weltmeisters, I believe. Is that how you say it? <laughs> uh, so... Um, they are footballing. <laughs> how do you say that in? How do you say that in German? You know, they're yeah, footballmeisters. <laughs> Fußballenheimers. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. I probably just offended all the Germans. Uh, I, I realize I'm such a, a European mutt. I, I contain you know just the dregs of pretty much every society uh, genetically. That um, I should I should root. For World Cup teams by proportion of my ancestry, uh, and in that case, the uh, the quarter quarter Bavarian, I guess, uh, in me should be pleased today, right? Oh yeah, they're um, they're they're flipping over cars in Munich tonight. <laughs> yeah. Fenzelate French, bro. I'm psyched. Although <laughs> oh I, actually, I actually had picked Argentina in my pool, but I'd done it for mostly mathematical reasons, which was that in order for me to money in my pool, I needed to move up like five or six spots in the pool. And the only way to do that would be to pick an unpopular choice and have that choice win. Right, so the the EV on it was positive, even if I didn't necessarily think they were going to win. But by the end, I was really invested, and I was really sad that they lost. I like money. I like money as the action that that you are looking to do. I, yeah, I, mean, I shouldn't can, say that because it's illegal. Can you like, really? Yeah, right. Can Can you verb with a noun like that? Is that the thing that's illegal? <laughs> to, to, to verb like that. Um. So, uh, all right, we, we, we have a topic for tonight. It's, it's an interesting one, uh, we think. Um, but uh, before, before we uh, get to it, the thing that's not going to be the topic is the film that came out in wide release this summer. I don't know about you guys, but, but for me, it's kind of been, I haven't really been excited to see a lot of films this summer. Yeah, it's pretty much for me, you know, Winter Soldier was great, and I'm waiting for the Expendables. Um, although, <laughs> T-minus one week until the purge anarchy, all crime is, le- is, equal, is uh, equal. All crime is legal. Plant those tomato plants in the public parks, people. Walk your dogs without leashes. Walk your cats with two leashes. <laughs> Redraw all the deeds to your only neighbor's houses. Commit wire fraud. It's ready to go. Dump all of the chemicals in the lake. Uh, just oh, you guys. We need we need an anarchy hour podcast to commemorate that, right? All crime is legal on the Overthinking It podcast. We can swear, we can spoil.
spoil Hashtag things. Cast. Purge cast is coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so a couple weeks ago we had brunch cast. Last week was Bodcast, uh, the Bodcast podcast. Yeah. Um, no one answered my call, Pete, by the way. No, no one uh, at the email that no one ever emails or in the show notes was like, yeah, you guys need to do a, a health and fitness podcast where, where you and Pete Fenzel uh, talk about this stuff all the time. So uh, I, I guess we have our answer. Um, you can take more artisanal cheese, but you can't get it. <laughs> cheese is an artisanal and painstaking <laughs> process. Um, yeah, it's it's strange for me because like a couple of things, uh, overthinking it was was founded. Uh, well, it was founded on overthinking there will be blood. But you know, the very summer of two thousand eight when we started the site um, was the first Christopher Nolan Batman movie, and that really, or was it, no, 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 or was Dark it Dark Knight? Knight? Yeah, okay, it was Dark Knight, and um, and and uh, that was a just a treasure trove of overthinking and for this podcast the annual um summer summer like multi-part summer movie preview podcast where we went down a list of summer movies and used them as a pretext to bs with one another which is you know uh, if you haven't cottoned on yet is the the you know topic of this podcast um what were those were huge events they took up four episodes sometimes and and uh it seems like we can't muster any enthusiasm for it this year i I wonder if that's a a function of us getting older or the movies getting worse or of you know i don't know uh uh, prestige television or something i mean in a couple of different articles i've written for overthinking it i've uh talked about this phenomenon of peak superhero or superhero fatigue uh that uh the that critics like to talk about um and it's less evinced in, in sort of the uh the box office and attendance numbers of, of these types of big tentpole movies particularly superhero movies um but uh, so so much as the critics talk about that sort of fatigue i think we are feeling that a little bit um and yes we are also getting older um i'm older now than i was uh when i just said that last sentence and also this sentence um so yes I mean, it's been a weak summer for blockbuster movies. It's not just us. Uh, I mean, there's the, the receipts are down, and I don't think it's a secular trend that we're talking about either. Here, it's not like a one, a one, not a, like a non-religious trend. I mean, secular in the sense of the opposite of cyclical, a long-term trend. Other than Days of Future Past, they, I mean. Transformers Age of Extinction, 22 Jump Street, these aren't matching the levels of the movies that came before them. I mean, you can see some news articles about it, too. Um, it's down 17% year over year. So it's down 70% just from last year, uh, this summer, summer box office. So we're not the only ones who aren't seeing these movies, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, well, good. I mean, that, at least there won't be, you know, angry listeners uh, battering, down, battering down our door and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's interesting. I saw Edge of Tomorrow finally, and uh, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really oh, yeah. interesting. I thought it was a really interesting film. But I had an insight about it, at least an insight for me, which was that um, what was interesting about the film had nothing to do with what made the film so expensive. Does that make sense? Right, right. That yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like all the CGI, like what was interesting about about the film was the the conception of the story and uh, sort of how it unfolded, how the plot unfolded, and the things you sort of realized about the characters and the evolving relationship of the characters with one another. 
And I mean, the thing that that made the movie so expensive, I guess the star salaries did. Um, but uh, really, it was probably all that CGI. And and honestly, I I just didn't care for the the you know evil octopuses, the the evil octopods, the alien octopods, you know, or the like the alien lotus flower. Uh, none of those things. Oh, spoiler alert! There are octopods in a lotus flower. Um, the, none of those things were were all that all that exciting, or really uh, were you know I don't know compared to to the other to the other stuff. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Anyway, yeah, I mean you know it's like the lesson of Riddick, the Vin Diesel Riddick movie that came out like what last year was that it was successful because it was cheap. Right, like like Chronicles of Riddick was really expensive, and while it made a bunch of it like sold a bunch of tickets, it was not successful because of how expensive it was. Right, so you you if you think that you you know you have to figure out like making a cheaper movie with the expectation that it will hit kind of a niche audience is a total is like an option. It's totally an option. So the movie that came out this week that we didn't see was um, Dawn of the Rise of the Revenge of the whatever the, the Planet of the Apes, yeah. the, the the monkey movie. Um, though I, I don't mean to disparage it, Mark. It sounds like you're you're interested in interesting, interested in seeing it. Yeah, uh, I do plan on seeing it eventually, and I really enjoyed the the dawn of the rise of the beginning of the Planet of the Apes, the first one before this. Right, exactly. Apes begin, primates begin. Hmm. Um, directed by Christopher Nolan, and the uh, so in in honor of this film that we didn't see, let's uh, let's ask a question of the week, which is this panel. If you could uh, pitch a movie that that was the planet of the some animal, what animal would you choose, and what kind of um, what kind of film would it be? What kind of character would the world have? What would be the ethos of this uh, of this summer blockbuster? Would it be a summer blockbuster? Would it be an Oscar season prestige uh, motion picture? First in the alphabet, drink. It's Peter Fenzel. Thanks very much. See, I would want to go to a planet that has been seeded with phytoplankton. Not phytoplankton that originated on the planet biologically through evolution or whatnot, uh, or through spontaneous generation, if that's what you prefer. Someone just left a bunch of jars with uh, wax seals on them in a closet, and then a bunch of phytoplankton came out. Uh, no, no, no. I want, I want to live in a planet that's full of seeded uh, phytoplankton because I think the most important value that a planet can have is enunciation. And then it would be the planet of the planted plant plankton. Right, the planet of the planted plant plankton, because phytoplankton is plant plant. And if you could say that, if you could name the planet, because we can all say the names of the places that we're from, right? We would raise and people from that planet, if they went to the planet of the planted plant plankton, would uh, have to say that all the time, and as such, would develop superior enunciation skills, which would make them excellent uh, starship captains, uh, twenty-four presidents, <laughs> and insurance promotional. But, but Pete, but, okay. but Pete, but Pete. Um, when I think of like a planet of the fill in the blank animal, I, I think that that planet, um, you know, those animals have become sentient and uh, rule uh, rule the planet, uh, right? But um, are phytoplankton able to evolve vocal cords? So would they be able to enunciate anything at all? Isn't that that's more of a question for the philosophers and poets? I mean, we're talking about science here. Uh, <laughs> Can can a phytoplankton enunciate? What does that even? I think you're being very enunciocentric. Well, I was being very enunciocentric also. Uh, in fact, I was putting in the Pete, sense of anything. Pete, yes. I am talking about science. <laughs> I am talking about phytoplankton anatomy. Damn it! They blew it all to hell. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I think if the planet of the planet plant plankton was a real planet and the plankton was on the planet of the planet plant plankton that and they became sentient and evolved, uh, they'd have to be able to communicate somehow, but they'd be underwater, right? Now sound travels very fast and far through water. Dolphin clicks, whale noise, whale songs, right? Uh, so what I suggest instead is that the plankton would develop such superior enunciation that it could only be detected through very advanced machinery, right? Like human beings would go to the planet and would not be aware that there were sentient life on the planet, but would have to take recordings of strange clicking noises and slow them down to, you know, like maybe one one hundredth of their current sound to, you know, to hear something like, Liberty Mutual Insurance is the solution for all your insurance needs, right? Like the superior enunciation that you get from uh, from that kind of uh, – when you found out babies weren't delivered by storks, that was an epiphany. That's an IBM commercial by Avery Brooks, right? See, that's that's what we're going for here, people. I think it would be a great moment in the movie when people finally realized that the uh, there's an old saying that says fortune favors the bold. Let's hope they're right, right? Like if you have these wonderful lines that are enunciated by these plant life creatures. Oh, so okay, so I I, I hear you that um, they can enunciate in this way with these sort of clicking sounds through underground. But now here's a philosophical underwater, question, right? Yeah. Underwater, right? But here's a philosophical question: uh, In this world, uh, you know, are Phytoplankton, do they develop actuarial sciences that allow for liberty mutual? Oh, my goodness. For insurance to exist. What, what a tragedy that would be if you developed a species with such superior enunciation skills that they made the successful jump from starship captains and 24 presidents to being insurance commercial salesmen. But they existed on a planet where there was no insurance. <laughs> it's like the Twilight Zone. This is like the one where he drops his glasses or the one where like all of the people eat a bunch of sandwiches like that one. No, what, um, you're, what you're talking about is the, is the, uh, the strong planthropic principle. <laughs> right like insurance salesmen can only evolve under a uh, under a tiny you know subset of possible cosmic uh constants um you know otherwise you would pluck pretty plankton uh <laughs> and pleasant plurals presently Planted um, plank plankton uh, perpetuate Fermi's paradox. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, excellent. I was trying to I was trying to write the longest sentence I could with with all that alliteration in it. But instead, we'll go to Mark Lee. What animal are you? What what animal are you going to pick for your for your summer blockbuster? I'm going with uh, Planet of the Corgis. Now, um, oh, some of you out there, oh, exactly oh, 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 oh. right. A lot of you in the, in, the, in the podcast audience might be aware that I recently became a dog owner. I now have a dog. My what dog, kind of is, dog is it? My dog is a mutt. Uh, oh. It's an undetermined mix. We have no idea. I mean, it's not important. The important part is that my dog is adorable. Uh, insanely, ridiculously adorable and cute. And what happens when you get a dog that's insanely, ridiculously adorable and cute is that it, it just really reorders all of your priorities, right? So when I fired up Netflix, I wasn't going to like watch um, whatever you know dark, gritty uh, British drama about uh, horrific crimes like Luther that, that's on there, right? Um, what did I fire up recently? Uh, the documentary from the Animal Planet called Too Cute, okay? <laughs> Like this I is th- what I, I want. I think it's extraordinarily charitable of you to call that a documentary, <laughs> a, a television program, a assemblage of audio and visual elements. 
with a loose theme. Okay, whatever you want to call it. Sequential imagery work. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I, I fired this up and was just enthralled by it. Right. This is what I want to watch now. So, um, if I am allowed to make a movie, Planet of the Something, I'm gonna make it Planet of the Corgis. All right. It's gonna involve ridiculously adorable, uh, short-legged uh, dogs that are just like falling over each other. Um, they don't accomplish much. Okay. Even they can communicate. Uh, you know, and, and, and they can bark. They're just through and they can, you know, have language, that sort of thing. They're just telling each other to um, to walk a little more funny and to roll around a little bit more to try to get their belly scratched by uh, the by their servant humans. Uh, and that's what this movie is about. And I would watch the crap out of it. I don't care if you judge me for that. Awesome. I uh, my, my choice is going to be as anyone who knows me. Uh, and the emails with cute animal pictures that I send to the overthinking it writers list um, is going to be a, a planet of the pandas and it 's well yes, but it 's going to be a sad movie because they don 't they're they 're in no hurry to reproduce uh, the pandas, and so they it's it 's the story of like the last of the last of panda kind you know um, rolling around eating bamboo. Uh, all alone on a on a giant, um, you know, heavily forested planet on which they have ironically no predators and have, uh, you know, have come to the end of their life through through lethargy and and sexual sloth, reproductive sloth. Um, it's a really sad movie that I'm planning, but it'll be very beautiful to watch. Uh, it'll be very um, it'll it will win all the Academy Awards. So, so if the pandas uh, rule the planet and have become sentient, and the story is about human beings who are on this planet interacting with these pandas, uh-huh. what's what what is, what do human what does humanity think uh-huh. of these intelligent pandas that are incapable of screwing to save their lives? Yeah, well, <laughs> the the human beings uh, who are on the planet are actually trying valiantly to help the pandas. You know, creating panda preserves and. Um, and uh, you know pristine paradigms of of panda procreation, <laughs> and uh, and and the pandas are just uh, are just indifferent. And the the tragedy is, or or the irony, I should say, is uh, that they're so happy, um, but they're so happy for their. Um, they're they're so happy, uh, just you know, sitting around, rolling rolling about, crawling around, laying on a branch, eating some bamboo, you know, uh, that the people can't understand why why the pandas are content to just sort of uh, to just sort of relax and and in so doing disappear. And there's a very sort of uh, there's a very sort of profound spiritual lesson for the people, I think, in in the pandas' pleasant passivity permeating. Uh, uh, presently. Lovely. <laughs> well done, sir. P- please proceed. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what's going on, on on overthinking it this week? The uh, the twenty four recap is is wrapping up. Uh, we don't have time for the twenty four recap. To <laughs> okay. Wrap up. I guess uh, I guess they'll have done eleven hey, episodes of hey, the twenty four recap. Can, can I can I jump in for a moment and then help plug this recap? Uh, sure, because yes. I, I've been listening to this off and on, even though I do not watch 24, and uh, I have been <laughs> I've been really enjoying it. You guys have this great, these great bits, these comedic bits. It's an right? hour long analysis of each hour long episode of 24, and you're watching, listening to it without watching the show. That's awesome. I didn't say listen to the whole thing. I listen oh. off and on. Yeah, but um, I mean, yeah, I didn't know that we had an overthinking a torture chamber until I listened to um, 
to your podcast. And now we have all of these great ideas as to how to use uh, it. It's the torture room. And it's you have to, to get there, you have to leave the uh, control center slash kitchen, uh, which is which is, uh, is accessible through the vent from the panic room in overthinking a headquarters in Zurich, Switzerland, which is where the 24 reca- real-time recap takes place. Uh, it's glorious. Did you leave yeah, any this- orange slices in there for me to use in my next uh, session? Oh yeah, no, there, there, there's a couple left. Ryan's been oh, eating the okay. orange slices off and on throughout the day, but uh, okay. I think there's a couple left. Right. Great, thanks. So oh, yeah, no, listen, no if, if you if all that sounded great to you, right? And overthinking the torture <laughs> chamber, orange slices, and some talk of the a lot of talk about the show twenty four, live another day, then you should listen to that recap. It's great. The other thing that's yeah. that's starting this week is that there is uh, there's going to be an announcement on over. Th- oh, I guess we can just spill the beans actually, because uh, by the time that you listen to this podcast, the announcement will be dead. Wait, no, no. <laughs> we don't have time. Uh, the the uh, the overthinking a book club is coming back for this summer, and uh, the book that we have chosen to pursue is Slaughterhouse Five by Kirk Vonnegut. And uh, we're going to be doing it in a six-week chunk. Uh, it's going to start presently, um, but there will be there is a post on overthinking it uh, as of the Monday that this podcast is released uh, that will have the details, the chapter breakdown, and affiliate links to buy uh, a copy of the uh, of the paperback or the Kindle book from Amazon uh, in case you misplaced uh, your your uh, high school copy. Um, and, uh, dust off, go back if you have them in your computer and dust off your old, uh, high school papers on Slaughterhouse Five, because I'm sure they'll be useful in the overthinking at forums as we, uh, as we fire up the forums to talk about Slaughterhouse Five and as we talk about it, or as, uh, or as Shana, who will be joining us on in the book club said, guys, guys, I just reread my, uh, high school paper on Slaughterhouse Five. Did you know there's Jesus imagery in it? Cause there is. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll get to that and much more. I'm looking uh, forward to reading. Hopefully, somebody will post their Slaughterhouse Five paragraph essays. Huh? Huh? Right. Introduction. Three supporting paragraphs. Conclusion. Slaughterhouse. Five paragraphs. All right. That's, Whatever. Yeah. Introdu- and, and remember the funnel, right? Remember the funnel. Start with broad, sweeping generalizations about humanity. <laughs> and then watch them go down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> of, the, of the funnel. Um, yeah. I, you see, I was a high school English teacher briefly, and I tried to and, – and I was a college English teacher. And in both – uh, instances, I tried to disabuse my students of the idea that uh, that the the funnel method of writing an introduction isn't the worst idea ever because they were all uh, under the impression that that it's not. Why is that so pervasive, so tenacious a, a uh, you know a harmful belief that everyone seems to cling on to? I, I don't know. I can't really account for it. Other than, like, other than, you know, I, I suppose it would be better, uh, a lot more interesting, a lot more consequential from a certain point of view to be writing a paper about, you know, mankind's struggle with questions of divinity uh, <laughs> that that humankind has engaged in since the dawn of time, right? Uh, rather than, you know, about, about, uh, 
crucifixion symbols in in a particular Dickens novel. Uh, it would be more fun to write about that thing, but I, I don't think you can do it in twelve hundred words, right? I don't think you. Can I mean, ac- you can do a lot of garbage in twelve hundred words. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the the uh, if there's if there's one thing that the academic establishment has proven it through brute force is that you can do a lot of garbage with twelve hundred words. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was the ancient Egypt papers that got me, <laughs> which were done with love. Some of them, and I appreciate that. Um, and what if Santa Claus? What if? What if? <laughs> Uh, what if Santa Claus would have been made by the Egyptians? Anyway, yeah, that would have been the power of the my my favorite and and just to fill everybody in in case um in case um you don't know what's going on is that a uh, a we have uh, among our listeners among our prized listeners uh, a college teacher who. Uh, for extra credit, encouraged her students to send in their papers to Overthinking It uh, as potential Overthinking It articles. Uh, we're going to link up the uh, the article where uh, we're going to link up the article that I'm talking about now. Um, and so, a number of these students did submit their their final papers about uh, the allure and mystique of the culture of ancient Egypt throughout. Like Western entertainment, Western popular culture, uh, and and sent them to the submissions address, uh, and we were at first uh, a bit nonplussed to receive all of these similar submissions. Uh, then we realized what was going on, and uh, and Pete took it upon himself to reply with cons- to each and every one <laughs> with, with cons- honest feedback that I felt like was helpful, if tongue in cheek a lot of the time. Uh-huh. Some uh, of the some of the paper pitches were very much like half a sentence or not even a complete sentence. For those, I don't have a lot of sympathy, <laughs> but I do appreciate the people who put work into it, and especially the people who put a lot of work into it, uh, like the one that the the one about um, Harry. Potter. Potter, where he, the, the wonderful gentleman actually rewrote the entire essay based on my notes, wow. which and it turned out to be pretty solid. So I really appreciated that. Um, um, yeah. Uh, what? So, but a lot of them were ridiculous. So this, for example, this this particular one uh, that would consisted of a single sentence: "What if the Christian tradition of Santa Claus was formed by the ancient Egyptians?" Yes. Uh, and, and I just, I leave it to you to go, to go read Pete's response because it is three words, guys. All I got to say is ho, 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 tap. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense. It all comes together. (laughs) So, uh, long story short, Slaughterhouse five, go to the post on overthinking it and get the, uh, get the book. If you, if you've misplaced your copy from, from high school. So uh, if we had Brunchcast and we had Bodcast, this one's going to be Carcast. Um, we thought that we would spend a little time talking about uh, automobiles and modes of transportation in general. Uh, there are a lot of things that uh, prompt us to do this. But, but one of these is, uh, Pete, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but, but no, you, may be, no. you may be in the market for, uh, for an automobile. Uh, yes, and I haven't, dri- I haven't owned an automobile in 15 years at least like i i had a car i had like my one of my parents cars was sort of my car for a little while while i was in high school but since then i haven't owned a car like i've lived in cities where i haven't needed it and then it's about time to maybe uh get some wheels 
and and self-actualize, right? Because uh, self- if there's anything <laughs> if there's anything that we learn about uh, thinking about transportation and the lens of pop culture is that cars equals self-actualization. Right? I mean, you joke, but that's entirely the experience of looking for a car for the first time. There's just this inevitable association with self-actualization and individuation that takes place. Yeah. Like, so t- let me just briefly uh, recap the different types of conversations we had about cars on uh, and pop culture and overthinking it, right? Like in the context of Karate Kid, we talked about the the, the car. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Fast and the Furious and, and car culture and, uh, and the importance of that uh, in the American psyche and in these movies. Um, we could go on and on. And we, talk, we even talked about scooters in that uh, Larry Crown movie that Tom Hanks and, uh, and Julia Roberts, right? Now, that was sort of the opposite of, um, of self-actualization was, was riding on a scooter, which we'll talk more about scooters later. But anyway, continue, Pete. But yeah, no, but so I've been doing a ton of research and catching myself up with where cars are right now, like learning about all of them, right? And uh, and I've been talking with everybody that I can about their thoughts and experiences with cars. Like not just what car do you like, you know, what car do you drive? How do you how do you interact with it? How did you decide that this was the kind of car that you wanted to have? A lot of the time I get blank stares. Uh, a lot of the time people are kind of nonplussed by the question. Um but sometimes you you know, you find out some pretty interesting stuff about how people make their decisions. Because it is something that does really connect with people. It's a cultural thing, and that's why I think it's appropriate to talk about it on a pop cultural podcast because it's a cultural aspect of the populace. Right. It's, right? A, it's a, one of those things that you do in your life where the sort of discursive value of it can't help but almost eclipse the, the <laughs> you know, the utilitarian or practical value yeah. of it. Like the thing, I mean, it's in a turtles all the way down moment. You can pick a car just for the sole reason that you feel like it is the most affordable, most reliable car. And it is inevitable that the reason that you think that about that car is because of the myths and stories and cultural discourse around that car that has convinced you that it's the car that doesn't have other myths and cultural stories around it, right? Like, um, uh, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, the idea, well, I mean, Matt, you know this particularly well because you also bought a car a little while ago, right? If I don't, if I don't mind saying too much. No, 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 you, you're not at all. I, uh, my car that I had had since I was 16, which was an Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, uh, Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, may she rest in peace. Um, I uh, finally gave up the ghost because I was I was like dumping a couple grand into her every time I had to take her in for a service. Um, and so uh, it seemed like the wise thing to do would be to buy a used Toyota. And in fact, I did just that. I bought right. a used Toyota. <laughs> yeah. So you you bought it. You bought a Camry, right? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Sorry, I got I got them. I get them confused. I get model names confused a lot because they're all so ridiculous and so so meaningless. But I got yes, I got a Camry, <laughs> which is like the the it's one up from the from the tiny the small one is the Corolla, right? I mean, I guess there are smaller ones that are sort of mini mini cars, but the small sedan is the Corolla, and the yeah. Um, mid-sized is the is the camry yeah like there's a whole scheme of of specific cars competing with specific other cars in the different classes which is all new to me which i didn't really understand this idea that the camry is a compact car and the the camry is a mid-sized car the Corolla is a compact car but then below that you have subcompact and city cars right which for toyota would be the yaris right and of course the smart cars kind of stuff along that but like sure. each brand has most of these niches already filled but so Pete, uh, as a as a non-car owner you must have been a a relatively frequent car renter, right? And uh, 
and so you the these things are like broken out on the web pages of all the all the car rental companies, aren't they? The, uh, the... you would you would think so, right? Well, I, I zip car a lot. Oh, I see. And I I do rent cars now. I rent cars fairly frequently because I can afford it. Uh, earlier, I just like I I was much more creative with buses. I, I've ridden buses. I remember one particular graduation party I went to for a friend from high school when he graduated college, where I had to like ride a bus into the middle of like a random town in New Jersey that happened to be a two mile walk away from where the party was. Right. Like it was, and it was like, I was coming from, uh, I think I was, it was coming from New Boston. Right. Or so, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you, 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 you can really get a lot of places. On and buses. you got, and you got within two miles of the party. Yeah. 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 Totally. That's amazing. Um, but you got to ride yeah, home, but- right? But the, the interesting thing is, of course, the rental cars companies have a different schema for the classification of cars than the manufacturers and dealers have for the classification of cars. They use a lot of the same terms, but they mean different things, uh, which is interesting. And this is because um, the, manu- the manufacturer who is selling you a car makes you, makes you, wants to make you think that your car is big, right? Uh, and and the, the renter who wants to rent you a car makes you want to think that your car is small. Uh, right, and and the reason for this is that the renter wants you to upgrade. That that upgrading to a larger car on a rental is much cheaper than upgrading to a larger car in like a purchase or a lease, right, or anything like that. So, uh, so the renter wants to sell you, you know, a five dollar upgrade, right, to a slightly larger car. Um, Actually, the, you know, I can even I can make other kind of classification. Well, so the basic one is right. So, like, if you go to a rental place and you want a compact car, right, you might end up with like you know, a Yaris or a Fiat 500, you know, or like a Chevy Sonic or a Ford Fiesta, as opposed to a compact car from a dealership, which would be like, you know, a, a, a Chevy Cruze, a Ford Focus, right? Like, um, it's a bigger car, right? Uh, the, the Fiat 750, which is not a thing. Um, but yeah, I'm not entirely positive why this is the case, but it's like a totally different scheme, right? It's, it's a totally different scheme of naming, and it gets very confusing. Um, and because and there's definitely an aspect where the renters are kind of trying to pull one over on you, I think. Um, but on the other hand, the, the signposts on the dealers, they're always moving. So the, this idea, the Camry now, right, um, is a lot bigger than the Camry used to be. And the Corolla now is as big as the Camry was, you know, like 15 years ago. Right or maybe a little bit more than that, but it's like the mid the compact cars have been creeping up in size because then you have the smaller class of cars that have been behind it that are kind of taking up that niche, and that pushes the compact cars to get bigger, which pushes the so, mid-sized cars to get bigger. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, so let's. I want to step back from this, Pete, for a second and ask you. So you know, I, I totally get and agree with you that the classification of sizes of cars is very complex. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, but just yeah, asking sorry. you before you started to die down this rat hole, um, what size of a car did you want? Like what uh, did you have something in in your mind and like how did you couch it in those terms? Where you're like, I want an, an a van the size of the A team, or I want a car that, that which uh, Inspector Clouseau. No, you about. don't want you don't want too useful a car, right? Like you don't want a car that's <laughs> that's good for hauling things around because then you're the friend with a truck, right? Then you're the friend with a van that you can fit, you know, a whole gig's worth of uh, a whole band's gear into or a whole, you know. Uh, 
I don't know, yeah. well, uh, I, set or something like that yeah. into, and you Pete, don't want to be Pete, that you, guy. you seem to be quite taken by the all-new Chevy Silverado. That's <laughs> a great length on one podcast. Yeah, yeah. I assume you're not going to get a truck, right? Like, so, no, I'm not going to get a truck. But I totally the guy, I want to be the friend who helps people move. I, like when I, when I drove to an improv festival recently, I rented a car, and I very aggressively asked people if they wanted rides, right? And not only that, but I offered multiple people rides. I gave different people rides down than I did on the way back, and I also helped Ryan, uh, helped Sheely move uh, on the way back. I brought him back to Boston with me with a bunch of his stuff in the trunk of the rental car, right? So I was helping somebody move and moving like four other people all at the same time or three other people all at the same time. So I like being well, so, so you were moving three other people, but you were only moving one person, and that was Ryan Sheely. Right. I mean, relatively speaking, we were standing still and the earth was moving beneath the wheels of the Impala that I rented, which was not very good. But, uh, but, but to answer your question, Mark, and by the way, like, before I move on from that, yes, it's all very complex. One of the things that I think you discover, and I think this is interesting from the standpoint of culture in general, is I feel like that the way that information about cars is classified – if you did some sort of study on it, I would bet that it has qualities that make it susceptible to obsession. That there are things about the way that people organize information about cars that may, that like really catch the human mind and make you want to think about all of it. Um, it's similar to like Magic the Gathering cards and whatnot, where it's like, mm-hmm. like uh, which I also get really fixated on sometimes, where it's like there are patterns that seem obvious enough to catch your attention and they're iconic enough and elegant enough to grab your, your attention and so you think you understand them. But then there's many, many, many small variations that spiral outward and never seem to end, right? Like, uh, and that's kind of how it but to answer your question, it was a pretty loaded. It was a pretty loaded initial situation, which was um, my, my one of my sisters uh, who's gotten married recently uh, bought a car. Right, her and her her now husband, my brother-in-law, they bought a Prius, and I had to rent a car to go do go go somewhere. And I rented a Prius. I, they, I didn't ask for a Prius, but the renter place. Uh, had a Prius extra and like let me use it. And I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I think the real kicker for me was being able to talk on the Bluetooth on the telephone while I was driving, which was something I'd never experienced before. I was like a, a little child or like somebody who had been growing up in the woods where I was just like, wow, like this is so cool. Um, and, and it was just really obvious that I was really excited and, and really liked this car. Um, and like the little, I don't know, the Prius had the little thing where when you're driving with gas, it shows you how much. And when you're driving with battery, it shows you how much, and there's just this engagement with the information systems on the car that was really exciting for mm-hmm. for kind of brain. The catch is my sister just bought a Prius. I don't want to buy the same car that my sister just bought because I, as the big brother of this sister, want to make sure that she has the opportunity to individuate herself by her car choice. Right? That it's like okay, uh, if car if if car choices are about this kind of like expression of self, individuation, you know, rites of passage or what have you, like the you know separating yourself from other people's idea of you and kind of establishing your own idea of yourself. If a car, however cynically that might take place, right? Like if that's what a car is partially doing, and so somebody you know is doing that, don't steal their thunder by buying the same car as them. It's like wearing the same outfit to the party, right, uh, is my thought. Um, and I've had this sort of interaction with my little sisters before. They're not really little. They're grown women at this point. But it's like um, where, where like, you know, okay, one of my sisters runs a marathon. Well, I don't want to run a marathon now because I don't want to do the thing that my sister did uh, to make her feel like she's, like, living in, in, like, that I'm not giving her her own space, right? 
The catch is, though, that I really like the Prius. So I endeavored upon this like big research project to try to figure out if there was another car that I liked as much that went, that then I that could also for me kind of individuate me, right? Like make me like really make me feel like I'd made a choice for me rather than a choice that was dictated by what everybody like my family would decided or or dictated by my inability to have a car in my lifestyle, right? Something that was going to be very distinctly my own, uh, which of course my own as produced by a multinational manufacturing corporation and paid for with financing from a multinational bank, right? So like, you know, as, as my own, as, you know, my, as my little spacely sprockets cubicle, right? Is my own. Um, but yeah, and then that's what that's what prompted me to go on this project. And in this project, I've been zip carring systematically through the different zip cars in my neighborhood, and I've also been trying to rent a different car every time I rent a car for the rental place. Oh, these uh, are the zip cars in your neighborhood. <laughs> in your neighborhood. <laughs> in your neighborhood. And to answer your question, Mark, the Prius is a midsize, right? Which is the same. It's the same size as the as the Camry, which is Matt's car. Um, the Camry, of course, uh, has a hybrid version. That's how it gets funny: is that you can get a midsize Camry hybrid. And you can get a Prius hybrid, both made by the same company, right? Mm, uh, that are roughly yeah. the same size and serve roughly the same purpose, except that like the Prius gets like you know seven miles per gallon more, right? And the oh. Camry has like better power. More, more importantly, the Prius is signaling way harder than the Camry hybrid that you are environmentally conscious. Yes, exactly. Yeah, at the, at this point, you know, I I. I don't know. I I wish her joy for a Prius, but at this point, like owning a Prius is not like has gone beyond being a being a move that that uh, you know. I don't know. So many people have done that that like there's. It's not like there's Prius guy or Prius girl anymore, right? Like it's it's everyone is that like twenty percent. Well, yeah. I look, I well, look out it, at least in LA, it feels like twenty or thirty percent of the cars on the road are are pre i. Right. Well, that's what it's like here in Cambridge and in Somerville. But when I went home to New Jersey this weekend, no Priuses, right? Uh, and I, and I, my sister described, and my sister, my brother-in-law described going to Whole Foods in their gray Prius and being unable to find their car because all the cars in the Whole Foods parking lot <laughs> were gray Priuses, right? Um, so I think that there is some signaling, but it's much more. Um, it's much more identifying yourself with a group of people rather than identifying yourself individually. Like it's not a bold choice to pick a hybrid car nowadays. Right. Like, um, but it does have some sort of cultural context that's taking place. But yes, if you want to signal less that you're driving a hybrid car, then you can get a hybrid variant of a brand of a make of car. That's not traditionally a hybrid, like a, like a Camry or a Fusion. So so are you trying to signal something with your car purchase? I mean, you talked about like, you know, reflecting personality traits, right? But is there also this thing going on, I feel like often with uh, with car buyers, that like you want to signal something, but you w- don't want to be so obvious you are signaling this thing? Oh, totally. Uh, I mean, and I, part of it is the description of what I was talking about before, where, you know, I don't really care about luxury badges, for example. Like, I would rather get a, ma- a mainstream, sort of a mass market uh, car badge on my car and get like a better car uh, in terms of more features, right, and, and and options. Then get a step up, which has a uh, a luxury badge on it. And and the way that these luxury badges work is it's a lot of as I've discovered. And of course, you guys probably know this already. Everybody listening probably knows this already. But it's new to me, right? Which is that um you know each of the individual car manufacturing companies has a luxury badge that's associated with. Uh, 
a mass market badge. Like right. they're, and they share a lot of components, especially on the low end of the luxury scale. So like an Audi has Volkswagen parts in it. You know, a Lexus has Toyota parts in it. An Infiniti has Nissan parts in it. A Cadillac has Chevy parts in it. Um, a, a Lincoln has Ford parts in it, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, uh, like a Mini Cooper is a small BMW, sort of, not really. Um, that's a different relationship. But like, but it's like, you know, you get to the point where now the luxury cars have introduced cars that are lower down they're down market that aren't necessarily all that much more expensive than the high-end offerings from their mass market cars so i would not buy the luxury car i would not get like the cheapest audi i would get like a, a you know a fancier volkswagen right like because i don't care about status like that right because i'm a, a salt of the earth american right uh, for whom such things are inappropriate it's and very and yeah no, no no and it's very important to tell everyone that you are of the class of people that that your status is that you yeah. don't care about <laughs> yeah. status that that's your status, you know, that I you don't care about it. And I you don't care, personal. but but that's your status. And you just want everyone to know <laughs> that that your status is that status is is some some BS. If people thought I was that proud, I would be so embarrassed. Right? Like that's that's the uh, that's the, the the double edge on that one. Um and I think the other thing is um well, you also find – I also find a lot of like gut reactions to cars that are associated with strong feelings I've had about cars in the past that I've interacted with and that I feel like I can't get away from. So like my family always drove a lot of Mazdas growing up, right? Like I had a Volvo. Like we have Volvo station wagon, but like my mom drove a Protégé. We had an MPV, right? Um, the, my mom generally drove Mazdas and my dad generally drove Nissans. I don't want to get either a Mazda or a Nissan. Yeah. <laughs> like, I see them. And it's not like I've decided to do it. It's that like I actually – don't feel good looking at those cars as much as I might because Mazda now make in particular makes some great cars in the segment I'm looking at right like which is compact cars and maybe mid-sized cars but mostly compacts and hatchbacks uh, like you know things that are good for the city but can put someone in the back uh, you know I drove a Mazda six uh, before I bought my Camry and I, I liked it a lot I, it was uh, you know that for what it's worth my test yeah. went pretty well. And I, I could get over it potentially, but it's really hard to shake the sense, even when I hop behind the wheel of one that I'm zip carring around in, that it's like the car that my mom drove, yeah. right? And, and that it's not mine. Um, and of course, my father has given me a whole bunch of very specific and intense guidance that's, uh, that also turns me off of whatever he recommends <laughs> and turns me on to whatever he down cries, right? Uh, and because, you know, I'm, 30, I'm 33 freaking years old. I'm not like 17 drooling over Mustangs here, but the stuff is still in play. Like, it's still there. It's part of the culture. I mean, Mark, do you, you don't have a car, right? Because you live in New York City. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, have, when was the last time you owned a car? High school. High school. What, what yeah, kind yeah. of uh, back in high school? It was just whatever the, you know my parents provisioned for me, right? At first, it was the Nissan Maxima hand-me-down, which I yeah. destroyed, not by <laughs> getting into a wreck, but by driving it ruthlessly, <laughs> uh, and which was replaced by the Im- utterly emasculating Toyota Corolla. Oh, a tiny, utterly emasculating Toyota Corolla with um, uh, with like roll-down windows, literal roll-down windows, and uh, no clock. Those were its defining features. <laughs> Oh man! So so that's funny that you describe it as utterly emasculating. 
Oh yeah, I mean, like that's an entire other podcast to have, right? But the gender politics of cars and how no, that's um, certain this types podcast. of gender. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, no, you're on it. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you are riding in it. You are riding yeah. in the passenger seat of it. Don't you think of the curves of the Mazda Six's chassis as being somewhat feminine? In particular, the smile on the front of the Mazda Three back in like the 2011 to 2013 builds, right? Like uh, it has a big grin on its face. The face being like the headlights yeah. and the grill, right? Um, I mean, we've also talked heavily about uh, gender cars in the context of dodge right sort of recently they did a big rebranding or repositioning of their brand um with the uh the dodge charger the super bowl commercial with the um the voice of dexter thing going on all about how like you know you're not a real man or something like that but are you like you you emasculate yourself in all these different ways but with your car you will not do that you will drive this insane muscle car yeah you will drive this Italian car that has a cross on the front. Uh, sorry, and the, and the like whole that. right, yeah, exactly. and and the whole. I mean, let's never never mind that the whole thing is like you know we all probably shouldn't be driving these cars at all, and there are probably <laughs> more socially responsible, uh, you know, modes of transportation that we all could could take. I mean, the bus, right? You know, I mean, we just talked about taking the bus. Well, That's the social yeah. responsible. <laughs> I bike all over the place. And, like, I don't – I mean, yes, I rent cars sometimes and I, and I zip cars sometimes. But me, I've been pretty good about my carbon footprint. What has it gotten me? Nothing. <laughs> Water's still rising. There's still not going to be any Miami in ten years, right? So, like, you know, whatever. Sorry, Pitbull. So, so what, you're say, what you're saying is that it, it's a tragedy about those commons? <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean the commons who drive the Toyota Corolla as opposed to Lexus number 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 that they drive? I once saw I once thing. saw those parked. Uh, I once saw like uh, you know that sort of champagne color uh, that Toyota and Lexus had for a while. I once saw like uh, an Avalon and uh, whatever the corresponding Lexus is parked next to each other, and it was it was almost impossible to distinguish them in the particular model year that that I happened to see walking down the street. One day, right? If you had, you could have switched the you could have switched the insignia on the cars, and I'm sure no one would have known the the difference. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe the maybe the the trim on the inside is uh, is different. I mean, I mean, there are differences. The engines are nicer, and the trim is different and stuff. But like, there's a lot of similarity. Like, there's- I, I, like I wanted a small smaller car, smaller than the Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. I mean, which you guys remember, you know, because yeah, I had that was the part never, that we sang forget. the yeah. Daredevil, the Evanescence song in. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Wake I mean, wake me up inside. Can't wake up. Wake I, me up. <laughs> I like the, I like the inflection when when uh, he says, "I can't wake up, like, <laughs> dude. What's going on? <laughs> I can't wake up. I took some Ambien." <laughs> the, uh, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was fun. You know that that uh, car was was pretty tricked out for an Oldsmobile because uh, I got it from my mom, uh, but she got it from uh, GM. She worked for a company owned by GM at the time, uh, and so there were these. You got like used car prices on on uh, on new cars. It was the employee discount back before that was just a marketing term that they they used to sell you cars at new car prices um so uh when when she got it it was it was pretty tricked out with the you know the sound system and whatnot my point is that that guy going i can't wake up had like a window rattling uh volume and <laughs> resonance in the subwoofers of the of the oldsmobile cutlass supreme yeah, yeah, let, let's talk let's use it a jumping point to talk about the um the experience of listening to music in your car 
right? And let me ask uh, Pete this question. Uh, Pete, is this something you're looking forward to? Like this experience of, uh, of having a car that you can play your own music quite loudly inside? Oh yeah, totally. I have my my because that's why it's really important that the phone have uh, smartphone integration, like blue Bluetooth integration, yeah. preferably, but perhaps a USB or an aux cable. I actually own a uh, cable, like a, like a cable that I bought at Radio Shack that I use with rental cars that don't have Bluetooth, so that I can play music off my phone. Oh yeah, yeah, I have one speakers. of those too. Yeah, 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 totally. And I mean, it's uh, I mean, I don't have a car and I own one of those. Oh, you have one too. You don't have a car and you own it too. Um, yeah, totally, totally. Especially like when I was driving back on the pike at like two in the morning three in the morning um on uh on s- friday night when i was on my way back from my sister's wedding um which i you know i did not drink so it was all right um but like the last stretch of it i was so tired that to sort of keep my focus and my energy i had put on a playlist i have on spotify of songs i'm considering for karaoke but need to practice more like i need to like <laughs> listen to more in order to learn them and i just like played those and sang at the top of my lungs right with those cars like you know screaming down a cruise controlled 70 miles an hour down the mass bike in the middle lane right like uh as 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 uh, with the flow as i could possibly manage um but yeah, there was some En Vogue belted out on so, that trip. Oh, I thought I thought it was going to be Cadillac Grills. Cadillac. <laughs> no, I perform. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We already talked about that one. No, that one's not coming out of the box for a little while yet. Again, I mean, so, to connect this to the broader concepts of car culture that we've, that we've touched on before in the past, so let's touch on it again. This idea that the the car has a strong uh, connection to independence uh, and sort of like individual freedom. Uh, uh, associated with it, right? And that includes the sonic atmosphere, right? Um, you know, for, for those of us who live, who don't live by themselves in homes, right? You know, it's, it's rarely the case where you can just crank up the music in your apartment or, or house and just sing at the top of your lungs without bothering someone, right? And then the, um, the automobile for, uh, is that rare sanctuary, that rare venue for you to be able to do that. Um, and, uh, I, and it's it, and you think about like a, a, a lot of uh, people who commute on a daily basis on their own, right? That is their sort of daily uh, space for exercising that kind of freedom, and that creates a really powerful um, uh, uh, connection and, and affinity with with that particular experience. And I, and I say that having uh, you know that was I say that having experienced that myself a lot in high school, but not so much these days anymore, right? And what I have to do now is listen to my music uh, on the subway with my headphones on and sort of like, you know, quietly drum uh, my fingers against my leg or uh, if I'm feeling really bold, we'll sort of lip sync um, a little bit to myself, uh, but not too much because then uh, people look at me kind of weird and think what's going on here. I know all that is to say that, uh, you know, car freedom, sound, loudness, and that's uh, and that's a big plus of owning a car. Yeah, one one particular one car that's really interesting nowadays in terms of thinking about car culture uh, is the Kia Soul. Are you guys familiar with this car? I'm not. I'm I am. I now. got. I actually when I went to DrupalCon in uh, Austin <laughs> this year, when I went to a week long technology conference, I got one, and I actually Instagrammed it because it was bright yellow, looked like a <laughs> you know like a bright yellow egg carton or something on wheels, and. and uh, <laughs> I Instagrammed a photo of it because I thought, well, that's interesting. I mean, 
<laughs> and you didn't like the you didn't like the Kia Soul, right? I, I I didn't love it. I don't like those. I don't like those wagons generally. I don't like those uh, like from from the PT Cruiser all the way to to the Kia Soul and beyond that whole kind of general area of car. I I don't. Yeah love the handling on i don't love the visibility i i just don't love the experience of driving it this particular one was was fine served me well for my week in austin was super inconspicuous uh as super inconspicuous as a uh you know bright as a bright yellow looked like a looked looked like like a giant irradiated baby chick or something like (laughs) driving you know driving around in the middle of that uh could be but uh, you know, it was it was fine. It weren't really my my cup of tea. But why why do you find it interesting, Pete? Well, because so when you get in a Kia Soul, and I've used one, I've zip card in one. There's a zip. There's a Kia Soul close to my house that I can take to the grocery store. Uh, and again, it, it, it's it's related, as you said, to that sort of genre of cube cars, like the Scions, right? Like yeah. the like the, the classic Scion, the Nissan Cube, the Honda Element that's now been discontinued. Uh, the PT Cruiser, as you've mentioned, is sort of similar in this this side. It's very similar in the general design, and um, it the, getting into it, it offers you a bunch of psychological comforts the Kia Soul does um, at, at like minimal expense, right? Uh, the first psychological, the psychological comfort that's relevant to this conversation is that the speakers, at least on this one, were on top of the dashboard. Like they were little hockey puck shaped things that were like Ooh. above the level of the dashboard sticking up, right? Uh, so that you were like cognizant of their existence and also their sort of general bossitude, right? It's like this is, <laughs> it gave a sense of like a teenager's music set up in there yeah I'm, i'm google imaging this here i like this yeah, yeah, you see what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Uh, and I mean, it doesn't necessarily cost you more to put the speakers on top of the dashboard rather than inside the dashboard. But in this particular car, it, it, it really emphasized the idea that you could use the sound system, right? That the sound system was there for you. One of the other things about the car is that it gives you a deceptive, a deceptive sense of sitting higher than you're sitting. Right, like um, this idea that it's because you're kind of more upright and you're a little bit higher up off the ground, and because of the way that it handles sort of like an SUV kind of car, like it definitely felt relative to sitting in like a Kia Forte, which is their their like Honda Civic kind of car, their like Toyota Corolla kind of car that was emasculating Mark back in Alabama in the 90s, right? <laughs> like uh, you're much lower to the ground, but in the Kia, you sort of feel like you're kind of looking. Look at you're like like a bird with your head up, right? Looking, you can't see me because this is radio, but I'm like looking left and right, right? Like, um, you get the sense that you're kind of above things, uh, a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, like four inches above things, um, and it just it has a lot of room. Right, like so, you can throw stuff in it, and and a car which you can throw a lot of stuff in, it's just begging to be used for all the awesome adventures that you're gonna have in it, right? Uh, where it's like, oh, we're gonna go to the trip to the to the beach mountains, right? Like, and we're gonna we're gonna be smiling and drinking Coronas, except it's gonna be outside, so we'll have to have them in paper bags. But just this idea of like, this is a car you could potentially take to awesome places, which is like a huge car thing, right? Like, there's so many people who own like souped up four-wheel injected crazy SUVs that are like advertised as being able to climb a freaking mountain and they're never ever going to take it even on gravel right like and, and it's like but the idea that you could potentially do this like the Kia Soul is the cheapest car that gives you the illusion of being a rock like a rock touring bus right and it's like super small um, but this idea that it's like it's got more storage space is basically the idea right the same thing as a Honda Element the Cube to get a CRV like a Honda CRV or like a RAV4 or something like a smallish 
like SUV crossover kind of thing, like would cost you ten, literally ten thousand dollars extra. You know, like over a, a base Kia Soul, which is like not an expensive car, right? Not particularly like well held together one either. It felt very light. Um, it felt kind of a little bit flimsy when I was driving it. Pete, Pete are, are, you, yeah. are you saying? I mean, that's. Oh, sorry. You go ahead, Mark. Yeah, Pete. Are, are you saying that it seems like the car has? Oh, I don't know. A certain quality that you might call soul. <laughs> Exactly. It's a car that's full of dreams, but not actual car parts. Right? Like, <laughs> that's what they build it with. And that's why it works. And it's really popular, too. It's totally kicking the pants off of all those other cars. It's the only one that I think that's really successful in the marketplace right now, as far as I know. Hmm. Um, but like, the, like the, yeah. the, uh, when, when we were getting a car and, and the Oldsmobile was, was given to me um, when, I was, when I was 16... Uh, the first thing I did in my car was like, I think take my brother to the doctor, which was, which was great. It's like, what enjoy it was, sorry. <laughs> what enjoy, a christening. Yeah, exactly. Is. Enjoy, enjoy your freedom here. Run an errand for me. <laughs> um, was, uh, you know, uh, my mother who like, who dr- had the, the, God, God bless her is a wonderful and very smart woman. She has a PhD for goodness sakes, but, uh, where automobiles are concerned had this religious devotion to Volvos as being safe cars, uh, which she considered scientific, right? Yeah. Um, and and kept insisting was was scientific when it in fact was uh, like a religious. There there was no evidence to the contrary which could have changed her mind. Right, like which is is the hallmark of a of a an article of faith and not of uh, you know I don't know not of the scientific method. Right, like yeah, thank you, Karl Popper. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, uh, and kept insisting that you know that you want I want my kids and I you know as uh, I, I could not bring any like national highway safety or transportation safety board. Uh, I forget the name of the government or organization that tracks that I couldn't demonstrate that actually like the the Camry and the Accord and whatnot had the lowest uh, uh, fatalities per thousand traffic accidents uh, in the class of cars that we were looking at. I couldn't like I could there was no, no changing her mind and um, and I, I ended up with the uh, I ended up with uh, Cutlass Supreme because it was like a uh, uh, big solid brick of a car that <laughs> if there's one thing you want to be hurtling in at high speeds it's a big solid brick right <laughs> it's, a, it's a that guzzled gas at a rate of you know uh uh 12 a miles a gallon a or so yeah. yeah exactly right like yeah stegosaurus per commute <laughs> to and from school uh and the um but there is something when you step into a car that is that is engineered to be really light that uses you know different kinds of materials or something like that right where you feel like oh this is this is sort of insubstantial right this is not a real car this isn't a real like i don't feel like an adult in this thing i feel like i'm on a movie set or something i feel like i'm driving a golf cart uh, yeah and that's and that's that's an undesirable feeling and and again like for socially responsible reasons we should all probably get over that right you know get some smart cars and and uh and call it i don't know call it a day like i i was recently uh on the east coast and and traveled a lot by airplane by taxi by train um I don't think I rode a bus uh, while I was there, but that, you know, that often had been a part of my, 
a part of my East Coast uh, thing, like uh, going to LaGuardia, getting the bus to 125th Street, and you know. Um, there's so much. Oh no, no, I was on a bus because the uh, the Newark Air Train was down, and they were running shuttle buses to uh, uh, to Newark. What is it? Newark Penn Station, um, and and so uh, every every like mode of transportation. Um, and I don't know, like like riding the train, having someone else take care of that for you, as uh, not worrying about that part of it, not having to be involved in in your own conveyance, is so liberating uh, somehow. You know, as an Angelino, I say this, who has to who has to commute. Um, like wherever I'm going, Pete used to talk about in New York, there being like a $25 tax on leaving your apartment. It's impossible yeah. to leave your apartment without spending, you know, uh, 25 bucks on something in New York city in, in LA, there's like a 45 minute tax on leaving your apartment, right? There's not, there's nothing you can go and do. Um, that's gonna gonna take you less than you know forty forty five minutes to get there, find parking, get to the thing, uh, and then get back where the where the commute time is less than that. And like this is why I have designed my life to to involve as little driving as little driving as possible, uh, wh- where I you know live near a very walkable neighborhood with a, a Trader Joe's for my box wine and and. Uh, you know, um, restaurants and the office that I work in and the, the, all the stuff, like all in one, uh, all, all in one, like half mile radius all around me and why I expressed some sort of, uh, why I expressed, uh, trepidation, right? Um, cause you, you think, you think you're buying, uh, right. Uh, you, you think that, that you have the soul, but the, the soul has you. <laughs> or the soul, the soul has your soul, or some something. I, you know, that that's the dummy version of the joke. I'm sure I'll come up with it right after, right after we wrap. Um, that and they're just huge money pits. Uh, right. Cars are. Yeah, I think you mentioned a pretty colorful analogy. Well, what I encouraged you to do <laughs> <laughs> instead of buying a car was to make a giant pile of all your money in the middle of your living room and just pee all over it to the point where it was useless. <laughs> right? Just until you had a sodden mass of useless foul-smelling currency on your floor. And um, I, I guarantee that as a car owner, you know, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life, uh, you'll feel that way about your, about your automobile. Like, you, you left out the second half of that. Oh, well, I, th- it was actually, that's what I encouraged Pete to do first. And, and, okay, and, and on the pre-show to the podcast, I said, maybe you should set the money on fire first and then pee out the fire so that you have not only burned useless money, not only, uh, you know, sodden paper all over the floor, and ashy remnants of which flutter around your living room, but also just the, the acrid and, uh, intolerable smell of burning pee. 
And you so, also have the so street of the open road, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, does the intolerable smell of burning pee make, give you a sense of independence from your parents or dependence on your parents? <laughs> it's that new pee smell, Pete. It's, <laughs> it's impossible to replicate. Well, what do you think, uh, listeners, about buying a car? Uh, have you bought a car recently? Have you overthought the process of, of buying a car? Um, T- tell us what you think. We're we're actually really interested to know. Do you have any uh, any car recommendations for Pete if he if he buys one? Um, don't tell them to him because you'll make him want to not buy the car. No, so, no, tell them to me. Tell them to me. Subtly, subtly suggest an alternative car uh, so that he can reject that suggestion and be inexorably led. I'm saying you have to use reverse psychology on Pete to. to <laughs> get him to do anything uh the um the place where you can do that is by emailing the email that no one ever emails and podcast at overthinking it.com or by calling the number that no one ever calls which is 203-285-6401 uh call or text 203-285-6401 but not but not while driving zero one do not text while driving oh god guys after getting my motorcycle license uh like and I, I don't lane share. It's legal in California, but I, I, I don't you ride between moving cars. But I zip to the front at stoplights, um, which is often useful because, you know, you're quicker off the line on a, on a motorcycle and you can kind of get out away from everything. But, uh, you know, you have this vantage point to kind of look around you into the windows of people's cars. Literally everyone is on their cell phones. Stop it. Everybody stop. Put it away. Put it in the glove compartment if you can't keep your grubby little mitts off of it. My my goodness. There are children walking around on those roads. All right. That's, that's three for three for social responsibility for me. Um, do you have any tips for social responsibility? Leave them in the comments on the show notes <laughs> for this podcast. Uh, we'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast next week. Hey, guys. Uh, next week on the podcast, <laughs> all crime is legal. All, all podcast crime is legal. Uh, Which means that we might not even do this topic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we will, though. Yeah, maybe we, should, maybe we should just skip a week after almost six years of uninterrupted <laughs> podcasting. Maybe we should just You not... don't know, because it's the Purgecast. Anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed CarCast. We'll be back next week. Until then, It's just going to be a redistributed rebroadcast of Major League Baseball with no permission. That's all it's going to be. <laughs> Can we, can we uh, rebroadcast Adam Carolla or something or Leo LaPorte? So Adam Carolla is really emasculating. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, we'll be back next week. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinking.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Miss if I did not give a big shout out this episode to my girlfriend's sweet Civic, her sweet Honda Civic, which hit 100,000 miles today, this very afternoon, this podcast. You often, often, Pete, and by often I mean twice, use the uh, you use the outtakes to settle to settle kind of personal debts, huh? (laughs) Well, I suppose so. I guess I think of this as as me time, which isn't really fair to you (laughs) or to Harvey Firestein.
Hey, to tie everything up, you guys, uh, do you guys remember uh, in the movie Independence Day, um, Harvey Fierstein in his car uh, right, before, uh, right before he dies? Do you remember what his last words are? Anyone? No, tell us. Oh, crap. <laughs> I believe is what it is. Did Thank he you, mean, Keith. oh, pee on money. <laughs> pee on yeah. my money. Pee on my money. Wow. I'm just going to keep this this outtakes thing going see if see if anything else happens this podcast is brought to you by the all-new chevy <laughs> cut, cut.